Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was Christmas, and I was about four years old, and we had gotten through all the gifts. We had finished up dinner, and as we were sitting in the living room enjoying the end of a great Christmas, my grandparents gave us one more present to open. Now, we had no idea what it could be, but my brother and I both knew it had to be big because they waited until the end of the night to surprise us. As we ripped through the wrapping paper, we saw a little red logo in the corner of the box and a mustached man jumping in the air. It was Nintendo. The rest is just a blur. I'm mostly positive I hug the box the way that like other kids hug puppies that they get for Christmas. We open it up. My dad connected it to the TV through the VCR. Do y'all remember that? Some people in here are like, what's a VCR? You had to play things through VCR. It was terrible. But once you turn it on, he handed a controller to my brother. I actually have a picture of that exact moment. Um, so that's my brother on the left. <laughs> I'm in the middle wearing overalls with a bowl cut slash mullet combo. It was 1989. Okay, shut up. Uh, And then that's my sister uh, to the right, who actually in this picture is the same age now as my daughter Harper is, uh, which just reminds me of how old I am. Also, check out the TV. Wood grain. Yeah. (laughs) Wood grain everything in the 80s and 90s. So from the moment we started playing, we were hooked. My brother and I would play Nintendo all the time. He would play and I would watch. I would play and he would watch. My sister would try to play. We wouldn't let her. It was wonderful. And like many of you, the first game that we learned how to play was Super Mario Brothers, one of the greatest games of all time. In the game, you're a short, pudgy Italian plumber named Mario who sets out to to defeat Bowser and save the princess. And even today, by today's standards, those of you who still play video games would know that Super Mario Brothers is a tough game. Some of you would would admit, maybe, that you've actually never beaten the game. And one of the main reasons why that Super Mario Brothers is so hard to play and why kids spend hours playing it is because once you died three times, it was over. You had to go back to the beginning again. The original Super Mario Brothers didn't let you save your progress, so one jump that failed, one run in with a Koopa Troopa, one mistake, and before you knew it, you had to start all the way back at the beginning of the game, which is part of the reason why so many people never beat it. Today, we're wrapping up a sermon series called Thank God It's Monday. And for the past month, it's been all 90s all the time. And if I'm being honest, if I ever have to hear the song Rhythm of the Night again, I'm going to lose it. But three weeks ago, I started this series by asking the question, what if you were able to make a few small changes that could make a big impact on your life? And hopefully these small changes would get you to a place where you have less stress, where you carry less burdens, where you wake up on Monday morning thinking, thank God it's Monday. And we've talked about priorities and margin and community, but all three weeks we're leading to today. Because while figuring out how to spend your time and shifting your priorities can make an impact on your life, and finding margin and taking rest can make an impact on your life, and learning to embrace the suck and finding your community can make an impact on your life. If you truly want to get to a place where you have more hope, where you have more peace, where you have more joy... If you want to get to a place where 2020 is different than any other year before, you need a fresh start. And the only way that is possible is through Jesus. 
Because the issue with this whole new year, new you mantra and the issue with resolutions and the issue with us trying to make every new year the best year ever is that just because the calendar turns to 2020 doesn't mean the pain from 2019 doesn't still linger. It doesn't mean the mistakes that we made in the past stay in the past. The calendar saying January doesn't mean that anything actually changes. And the only way to truly get a fresh start, the, one, the fresh start that we are longing for is through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So Jesus promises that we can be made new, right? That if we belong to him, this idea that if we put our faith in him, if we let him be the leader of our life, the old is gone and the new begins. And so today I'm actually gonna tip my hand early and let you know the small step that many of you need to be wrestling with right now as you finally work to letting go. We're going to be talking about letting go of control, letting go of shame, letting go of pride, letting go of trying to figure it all out on your own and accepting the gift of grace that Jesus offers by putting your faith in him and taking the step of getting baptized. And the reason why I tell you all up front is because if you're ready to take that step, you can get baptized today. We're going to celebrate uh, baptisms at the end of this services, service. We celebrated a few earlier, but if you are ready, you can join them. We even went out and bought shorts and t-shirts, so you can't use that as a reason why not to take that step. But here's the deal. This is not something we do regularly at Collective. In fact, only one time in the history of our church have we ever created an opportunity for people to make the decision on a Sunday and get baptized that day. And the reason why I'm telling you all this up front is because my goal isn't to trick you, manipulate you, or create some hyper-emotional moment for you to respond to, rather create space for you to wrestle learn, take a risk, and make the decision to get baptized. Because the truth is a lot of you come in today, and I say that phrase out loud or we talk about it on Sunday mornings and you're grappling with it. You've been struggling with this decision for a while and for whatever reason you keep avoiding it. So maybe today's the day when you finally put the walls down and say yes. So I'm gonna share a story about Peter. We're gonna talk about baptism and then we're gonna celebrate fresh starts. So here's the backstory for today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his 12 disciples, his 12 closest followers, sharing a final meal together called the Last Supper. Later that night, Jesus would be arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified on a cross. But during dinner, Jesus, Jesus looks at his guys and says, some of you will de deny me and some of you will desert me. Now that's not the best dinner combo, we understand, but he's Jesus, so he kind of gets a pass. And then Peter, Jesus' best friend, immediately gets defensive and calls everybody else out. Right? He says, the other ones might betray you, but I won't. He says, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I will even die for you. But not even a few hours later, after Jesus has been betrayed and arrested, Peter is in hiding. He ran away. A young servant girl is warming her hands by a fire, and she notices him. And she says to Peter, don't I recognize you? But Peter responds, no, 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 you must be mistaken. I am not a follower of Jesus. Then someone else spoke up and said, I'm pretty sure you're one of his followers. Peter responds, absolutely not. I think you have me confused with someone else. I'm not with him. And then a third person spoke up, I know you were with Jesus. And Peter, for a third time, says, you must be mistaken. I don't even know him. And Luke 22, verse 61 says this, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus was within, within earshot. Now I want you to imagine for a second that you're Peter, right? In this moment, you lock eyes with Jesus, who is your best friend, 
Jesus who is on his way to die for the sins of other people that he didn't commit in order to save people who are undeserving, people just like Peter. And Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. He changed his entire life to follow Jesus. Peter had seen Jesus perform countless miracles. He'd even seen Jesus predict everything that was going to happen. But Peter, just a few hours earlier, promised to stay by Jesus' side, had denied him and denied even knowing him. And you can just imagine the guilt that Peter felt. I can't believe I just did that. The shame that began to weigh on him. I'm no better than the people who want him dead. The fear that was inside of him. What do I do now? And while we've never personally seen that look from Jesus, we know what it's like to let someone down that we love, right? We know what it's like to betray someone who trusts us. We know what it's like to screw up in such a way that it hurts other people. We know how he's feeling. And because of that, we feel like we're too broken or too messed up or too sinful to be forgiven, to be loved, or to be given a second chance. And you know this is exactly how Peter felt. So Peter does what so many of us do when we fall short, He ran away, and he went back to his old life. He went back to being a fisherman. And one night, while he and some disciples are doing their best to catch some fish, Jesus appears on the shore. Now, they didn't know it was him, but this man calls out to them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. They hadn't caught anything all day, so they were desperate. So they actually listened to this stranger. And the Bible says that that they caught so many fish, they couldn't even haul them into the boat. And it was in that moment that Peter realized the man on the shore was Jesus. So he jumped in the water and swam to shore. And when he got there, he had one of the most awkward meals in the history of the world because he sat with Jesus and not just Jesus, but the resurrected from the dead Jesus, the same Jesus he had just denied. And there's no record in the Bible of them talking at all. You think your family dinners are uncomfortable. Imagine this. Jesus and Peter ate together in silence until Jesus spoke up. It says this in John 21. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now notice the name that Jesus used. He didn't use just his first name, Simon. He didn't just use the nickname that he had given him, which was Peter. Instead, he used his full name, Simon, son of John. Listen, you know what this means. Growing up, there was a church behind our house that had a huge parking lot and a big field behind it. My mom would always tell us to stay where she could see us from the backyard, but of course, we rarely listened. And so right before dinner, she would stand at our back gate, and when she couldn't see us, it was always, Michael, Brian, Barley, get your butt back here, right? And those are the moments when your parents use your full name. We kind of debate, am I just going to run away? Like, do I even come home? Like, she used the whole name. I'm not coming back. So Jesus uses, uses Peter's full name, and you know what Peter is thinking. Here it comes. Here it comes. Peter, are you ashamed of yourself? Do you feel guilty about what you've done? Do you realize who I am and what you said about me? What's wrong with you? Give me one good reason why I should even talk to you right now. But that isn't what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simple question, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? So Jesus asks Peter the same question three times, do you love me? And Peter knew why Jesus was doing this. He understood. He didn't forget that just a few few days earlier he had been asked the same question three times, aren't you with Jesus? And I'm sure it was all Peter was thinking about. It consumed his thoughts, 
It impacted his emotions. It dictated his actions. But after Jesus asked for a third time, this is what happens. Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Now, it's hard not to be hit by this moment because of how kind and caring it was for Jesus to hurt Peter by asking him a simple question three times. Do you love me? Because here's what Jesus could have done. Jesus could have shoved Peter's failures back in his face. Jesus could have ignored the years of faithful friendship that he had with Peter, the years of trust. Jesus could have shamed Peter, could have held it against Peter, could have done what so many of us do when we're hurt by other people. But that isn't what Jesus did. Jesus gives Peter a fresh start, an undeserved, unconditional fresh start. And the reason why Jesus does that is because God's grace is bigger than our past and God's grace is bigger than our sin. See, so many of us think that when we mess up, Jesus says, game over. You don't get to play anymore. You failed too many times, three strikes, and you're done. You see, we act like grace is conditional, that we can receive grace, but only if we're good, only if we are succeeding in life and in our faith, like a reward for good behavior. If we screw up too many times, the grace runs out, and we're done. The game's over. We don't get to play anymore. But grace isn't like that. Grace is endless second chances. Grace is that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And more importantly, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Grace is Jesus looking at Peter and saying, I forgive you. You don't have to start our friendship over. You don't have to start your faith over. You don't have to start your life over. Grace is Jesus looking at Peter and saying, I love you. Not less than what I used to. Not less because you betrayed me. The exact same amount. That's grace. So Jesus asks, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And that's it. He doesn't make Peter beg. He doesn't lecture Peter and tell him that he should be ashamed of himself. He doesn't make Peter say 10 Hail Marys. He doesn't point out Peter's failure to the other disciples so he can feel embarrassed about what he's done. He doesn't make Peter earn grace, earn forgiveness, or earn a fresh start. Jesus just simply asks, do you love me? That's it. What we all need is a fresh start. We need grace. And that's what Jesus offers every single person every single day. He offers fresh starts to the ones who look him straight in the eyes and deny him. To the addicts, to the outcasts, to the liars, to the cheaters, to the thieves, to the broken, to people who feel unforgivable, unlovable, and unimportant, to people who have walked away from God, to people whose society says don't deserve a second chance or another second chance or another second chance. And no, it doesn't make any sense, but grace doesn't make sense. And that is the good news of Jesus. You see, Jesus came to earth in the form of a child and lived a perfect life. He was arrested, beaten, and crucified. But three days later, he rose from the grave. And he did all of that for us so we could experience forgiveness, so we could experience fresh starts, so we could experience grace. There are no strings attached. You don't have to earn it. It's the most lopsided deal in human history. And we, for some reason, are the beneficiaries. So Jesus gave up his life so that we could be free. And when you're ready to say yes to that, that's when you get in the tub. That's when we celebrate as a church that fresh start. And we do that to honor God and celebrate what he's offering us, which is new life. You see, a little over a month after this interaction with Jesus, Peter, having experienced the grace of God firsthand, began to tell other people about how good it is because how can you keep it to yourself? And as he was sharing his own personal experience, the crowd listening began to realize that they wanted what Jesus offered, that this was what they were longing for. And this is what happened in Acts 2. Peter's words 
pierced their hearts. Now, I remember this feeling. I still remember this feeling. I remember the moment that I realized that I needed the grace that Jesus offers. I've been going to church for years. I've been trying my best to follow him. Mostly I was coming up short. To be honest, it was really easy to follow Jesus on Sundays, but the rest of the week was my Achilles heel. And so one weekend I was in Roanoke at a conference and the person speaking was this guy named Tommy Oaks. And the truth is, I don't even remember exactly what he said, but I remember the feeling. I remember what he preached and what he taught that they pierced my heart. I felt it. And in that moment, it clicked for me. I knew that I needed what Jesus was offering. I knew that I needed a fresh start and only Jesus can give that to me. And that's exactly what happened while Peter was preaching. And so they said to him and to the other disciples, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent and be baptized. Repent means to turn away. Think of it as doing a 180 and walking away from the life that you're currently living and toward the life that God wants you to live. Baptism literally means to be immersed in water. The Greek word there is baptizo. It means to plunge underwater, to dip as if you were dying a cloth or to immerse in water. And that's exactly what they did that day. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people were baptized in response to their faith in Jesus. 3,000 people said yes to endless second chances. 3,000 people said yes to a fresh start. You see, baptism symbolized the death and burial of our old selves, the death and burial of our sins, the death and burial of our past, and the resurrection of ourselves into a new life. Romans 6 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Galatians 3 says, For you are all children of God through faith in in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Colossians 2, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This is why we as a church celebrate baptism. This is why it is so important to this church and to our faith, because we all need the opportunity to experience new life, and only Jesus can offer that. Now, every time I talk about baptism, there are always two questions that get brought up. And while these aren't the focus for the day, I want to answer them in a quick and succinct way. The first question I get every single time is, my parents had me sprinkled when I was a baby, should I be immersed? And some of you are feeling that tension right now, it's okay. I personally believe that you should do what people in the early church did when they accepted Jesus as their savior, which is what we just read in Acts 2. So yes, I do believe that you should be immersed. You see, infant sprinkling did not gain wide acceptance until 400 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead. A church leader named Augustine taught that infants are born inheriting the sin of their parents. And during that time, there was a 50% mortality rate. So he believed that unbaptized babies who died would be without salvation, which is a complete misinterpretation of scripture. So for me, personally, I default to teaching what is in the Bible, and I try to avoid traditions that were added hundreds of years later because of social issues. The follow-up question, that question always ends up being, my parents went through this important thing when I was a child. Won't that invalidate that? The answer very simply is no. Your parents knew that when they had you sprinkled, that at some point in your life, you personally had to choose whether to follow Jesus or to walk away. They sprinkled you because they were saying that their hope was that one day you would follow Jesus. They were going to raise you in such a way where you could experience the grace and truth of Jesus. They can't give faith to you as a baby, and they knew that. 
So if you get immersed now, it's not going against the decision they made. It's affirming the decision that they made. It's showing them that you are fulfilling the, the desire that they had for your life when you were a child. Because ultimately, your faith is your own. It's one of our values here is own your growth. Your faith is your own and not something that can be handed to you from your parents. Now, the second question is, what if you have accepted Jesus, but you've put baptism off, right? You've repented, you've trusted Jesus with your life, but you haven't been baptized. What do you do? And I think the baptism of Jesus applies in this sense. Matthew 3 says this, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Right, and that makes sense. If anyone didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus. He was perfect. He didn't need to repent of anything. But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. So Jesus humbled himself enough to say, I'm doing this because this is what God asked me to do. Like this is the example, I'm gonna do it because this is what God requires of us. This is what he's told us to do as followers of him. And so if you love Jesus, but you've put off baptism, I do believe the Bible is clear and it's showing that you that you should be immersed to carry out all that God asks you to do. Now, either way, one thing I constantly remind people who have these two questions is that there's a reason why you're wrestling with this step. There's a reason why you can't get this thought out of your head. It has way less to do with what I'm saying. You, you might blame me for it, but it's way less that. But it has way more to do with what God, God is leading you to do. If you are wrestling with this, you are wrestling with this, and you need to figure it out. And I could keep talking about the history of baptism. There are over 100 references in the Bible, but today is very simple. It's about fresh starts. And Jesus promises that when we put our faith in him and we are baptized, we are made new. It is a new self. It's like putting on new clothes. So I don't know what you've done in your past. I don't know what you did last year, last month, or last night. But I do know that God wants to give you a fresh start. And he's simply asking you today, do you love me? So as we close up this series for today, what is 2020 going to be about for you? Is it going to be the story about your past, about your sin, about your brokenness? Or is it going to be a story about fresh starts, about forgiveness, about grace, and what Jesus can do in your life? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith in him, you remember what it feels like to be pierced in the heart, you've been baptized, and you know what putting on those new clothes is like. Today is the reminder that because of the gift of grace that you have received, you can have a fresh start, and another fresh start, and another fresh start. Jesus says that you're forgiven and that you are worth it all. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never said yes to the forgiveness he offers, you've never accepted the grace that he promises, you've never taken off the old and put on the new, please know, first and foremost, you are loved. But if you are struggling with shame, with regret, with guilt, and you want to be free of that, you want that weight removed, here's what you need to know. You can have a fresh start. You don't have to hold on to your past sins. You don't have to live with the shame and guilt of your mistakes. You don't have to avoid God because of how broken you are. Jesus just wants to know, do you love me? So if you are ready, why wait? You can join other people who are getting baptized during this service. You're not alone. And you're going to be surrounded by a group of people who will cheer you on as loud as they can. It's one thing that makes this church really special. So if you are ready to get baptized, when I pray to close out the sermon and we go into communion, if you head to the lobby, there's a team of people waiting for you. But I'm going to finish with this story. Neil Johnston was said to be a good man with a short temper. He lived in Ohio in the 1800s, and he was a farmer in the rural part of the state. 
One day he got in a property dispute with his neighbors over where one property began and the other one ended. And before they knew it, the dispute got physical and eventually Neil Johnson ended up killing his neighbor and was sentenced to life in prison. This was back when life in prison actually meant life in prison. So essentially it was a death sentence. For years, his family visited him and over time there was a noticeable change in his life. His heart had softened. There was genuine remorse. Neil knew that he had messed up and that he would pay the consequences every single day for the rest of his life. During that time, there was a custom in Ohio that the governor would give one prisoner a pardon on Christmas Day. For years, a single prisoner had been set free, but not one time in the history of the state had someone been set free with a life sentence. Life meant life. On one cold Christmas day, all the prisoners filed into the courtyard. Standing in silence, they waited to hear the name of the man who would be pardoned. The warden opened up the envelope and read out loud, Neil Johnston. But there's no response. Neil Johnston, Neil Johnston, would you please step forward? Nothing. The warden started pacing through the rows of prisoners trying to find Neil, but he was nowhere to be found. Finally, he got to the back of the courtyard and huddled in a mass in the corner of a stone wall with his face in his hands was Neil. With tears streaming down his face, he kept saying the same phrase over and over and over again, there must be some mistake, there must be some mistake. But the warden put his hands on Neil Johnson's shoulders and said, there is no mistake, the pardon is real. The pardon is real. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The pardon is real. The grace is real. The fresh start is real. So what are you waiting for? If you have never taken this step before, what's standing in your way? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to receive grace, to receive forgiveness, and let Jesus be the Lord of your life. He's asking you the question today, and it's very simple. Do you love me? Let's pray. God, um, we don't understand grace, um, but we, we crave it. God, we don't understand why um, in our lowest moments, in our moments where we've pushed you away, in our moments where we've walked away from you, um, instead of abandoning us, instead of uh, punishing us, instead of shaming us, you look at us and you simply ask, do you love me? God, we don't get it and we don't deserve it. And it messes with our head. It messes with our heart. But God, you ask us that every single day. And God, we're thankful for that. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to, to have fresh starts. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to start over. We're so thankful for the opportunity to receive grace and receive forgiveness and live with new clothes and a new life. God, I pray as people are just wrestling with that today, this desire, this longing for a new life, but this fear of taking that next step, God, I pray that the fear can go away. God, as, as nerve-wracking as it can be uh, to do it in front of people, um, God, there's still no better decision that any of us could make than putting our faith in him and saying yes to what he's offering. So God, thank you that you offer it. God, I just pray for, for the people here who have said yes to it. These stories and today is just a reminder that every single day they have the opportunity for a fresh start. It only comes through Jesus. For people who are wrestling with it, God, I pray that they have the courage to be bold and take that step. Because the truth is, God, we know they don't even know what they're missing. God, because that newness, that fresh start is just so good. So God, we're thankful that you offer that to us. God, help us understand and live in a place where we can say yes to that every single day. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.